So guys, to get us going, I want to ask you a question, and I want to acknowledge a question that I think all of us ask, whether you're a person of faith or not, in the world that we live in. And, and that question is this, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? Isn't that a question that we all run into? Even if you do not believe in God, we ask this all the time. And for some of you, this may be the question that train wrecked your faith, that led your faith into a slow and dying place. And maybe in the world that we're living in now, with all that we're facing, you are asking this question, and you can feel your faith maybe slipping a little bit, or your trust slipping a, with, uh, a bit in the middle of that. And that's totally fair, and that's totally real. Um, but when we think about bad things in the world, we usually think about bad things out there. And we don't think always about the bad things in here, inside of us. And so I just want to ask you a question to get us going. Um, have you ever done anything bad? Now, normally, if you were in the room, I wouldn't ask you to say it out loud, but if you're at home, you can just say this out loud or call your spouse out. Have you ever done anything bad? And, and to which most of us say, yeah, yeah, I've done something bad, but not bad like the stuff in the world and not bad like I see on TV. But isn't it true when we measure our evil intent of our hearts when we think about the things that we would do if we wouldn't get caught or wouldn't get in trouble for it, I mean, that list can get pretty big, can it? In fact, if you're a male like I am, the things that run through our weird minds sometimes when we're, they go unchecked can get pretty dark and even a little bit scary. And so this bad thing that dwells outside of us becomes very apparent, which leads us to this next question is, how could a good God allow me to happen? If he's really good and I got all this mess inside me, how could God allow me to happen? And if God was good, he would have done something about me by now. And if you talk through that long enough and you think through that long enough, this is where it takes us unchecked, that I don't believe God exists because I exist. And God can't be there because he's allowed me to be here and I'm such a mess and we're such a mess in so many ways. And luckily, when we get to that place in our minds and our hearts, John, as in John who wrote the Gospel of John, John who need, knew Jesus, he comes along and he says, oh, hang on, hang on, don't, don't go down that road too hard, too fast yet, because I need to tell you something about Jesus who showed up as God in a body. And he decided to dwell amongst us broken people like me, the Apostle John, and all my mess and all my sin. And as opposed to eliminate me, he decided to eliminate the evil that was in me by what he did. So we're in part six of our series called Bystander. And the idea of this is John and the rabbi from Nazareth. And John following Jesus through his life as an eyewitness documenting Jesus' life. And John would say, listen, I ended up believing with all of my heart, not because I had such great faith, not just because I believed for belief's sake, but what I saw and what I heard caused me to believe in an incredible way. And I want you to believe too, people that would come along thousands of years later. And so John is going to lead us into the sixth miracle, at least in our list, that Jesus did, or the sixth sign that pointed to who Jesus was. And I have to tell you this, um, I almost didn't do this message today because it's this whole idea of how could a good God let bad things happen to good people? And I'm not sure I really wanted to talk about this, but in light of the world we're in, I thought you might be asking that very question, how does a good God let all this mess happen? And so we're going to walk through an interaction Jesus had, and hopefully it will give clarity around that. So we're picking up the story, and Jesus has been traveling from the north part of the region down to the southern part of the region where Jerusalem was, back and forth, and it's kind of hard to follow him because he's such a busy guy. 
And he's been in Jerusalem again, and he gets himself in trouble with the temple leaders, the Jewish leaders, and they want to stone him. And this thing happens over and over again. And then Jesus decides to do a sign. And it's a sign that would ultimately cause a lot of people to believe in who he was, but also would condemn him to death because this sign was so overwhelmingly miraculous that people could not help but say, he's the Messiah, which scared the Jewish leaders and ultimately Rome to death, and it got, cost Jesus his life. And John writes this for us as an old man, dictating this to a younger man, most likely, and this is what John tells us. He says, now, a man named Lazarus was sick, and he was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And so here's the context. Someone Jesus knows, Lazarus is very, very sick. John says, so the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And the context of this is they know Lazarus and Jesus knows Lazarus so well that they don't even have to say Lazarus' name. All they have to do is say, the one you love. And Jesus would, would say, oh, you're talking about Lazarus, of course. This is how close they were. This is how well they knew each other. Now, they sent a messenger, and the challenge was, by the time the messenger got to Jesus, Lazarus wasn't sick. He'd already died. So John tells us when he'd heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death, although he's already dead. And then he says, no, it's for God's glory. Now, this is where John helps us understand a principle that's so important for our faith, and that's that bad things don't happen in the light of they disperse who God is. That just because bad things happen doesn't mean you have to give up on what God is doing in our world. That God can exist in the middle of the mess and the pain and bad things happening. See, this is done for God's glory. And then John gives us so that God's son might be glorified through it. That evil in nature can go unattended. And then in this case, Jesus unattends it. But it's for a reason, it's for a purpose. And that is to glorify God and lead people to a God that loves them. So, the story continues. Now, Jesus, he loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And like John runs to our rescue in this moment. He says, well, before you judge Jesus too hard and you think all hope is lost, Jesus loved these people. Jesus loved Lazarus with his whole heart and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And here's the challenge for that. Sometimes when bad things happen, it doesn't always feel like God loves us. And we ask this question, God, where are you? And do you really love us? And are you really there? goes on that he loved his sisters and Lazarus so when he heard that Lazarus was sick he stayed where he was two more days in other words Jesus didn't take action but he was up to something he had a purpose and he didn't just have a purpose for Lazarus and Mary and Martha he had a purpose for you that would be hearing this story 2,000 years later so you and I would understand something important about the nature of God so after all this happens, John tells us then, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. So let's wait, then let's go, let's wait, then let's go. And his disciples responded, but Rabbi, they said a short while ago the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you are going back. And they showed this concern for Jesus, like you shouldn't go back, Jesus, because it's dangerous. But here's the thought. I think they're more worried about themselves than they were with Jesus 
which is natural. And this whole idea, the idea of being stoned is terrifying. And no one in Jerusalem grew up playing baseball, so no one knew how to throw properly. And Jesus said, if they're going to stone you and throw rocks at you and they don't know how to throw well, they're probably going to hit us because we're always close to you and we don't want to get stoned. If you get stoned, and Jesus, it's a bad idea to do anything. We just want to play it safe, you know, stay home and watch Netflix and don't go into danger. Jesus, he answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? And, and Jesus would do this all the time. He'd be on one subject and take a hard right turn and bring up another subject and it would leave them so confused like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Well, let me explain to you what I'm talking about. Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble for they see by this world's light, which makes sense. During the day, it's easy to walk around and see where you're going. But it is... When a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And you get this if you're a parent. When the lights go off and you're walking through your living room at 2 o'clock in the morning and there's a Lego in the middle of the living room and you step on it because it's dark, it is awful and painful. If the light is so helpful, dark is not so good. And all Jesus is saying is, hey, there's 12 hours and those 12 hours equal an opportunity. In other words, I am on this planet for a limited amount of time. And I am here to show you what God is like. And my, bright, my light will never burn as bright as it does when I am in the middle of what is going on. So you need to pay attention. And you would be smart to follow me, guys. And I want you to go where I go. And if you refuse to follow me, you're going to stumble in the darkness. It's so relevant to us today because it feels like there's some darkness around us. And what does it mean to bring Jesus' light in the middle of it? Because he would say, I'm the author of life. And outside of me, the truth is, there really isn't a whole lot of, a lot of purpose without me in the middle of your life. It's such a bold thing to say. Some people would say it's arrogant. But John believed it was truthful. Um, Richard Dawkins, who's a well-known atheist, says this. He said, there is, at bottom, no design. In other words, there's no God. And if there's no God, there's no purpose, there's no evil, and there's no good, nothing but blind pitlessness, indifference. And Jesus would say, yeah, if you don't have me in your life, this is what it leads to. And you do not want to live in this place. So I'm here. And this is the reference point for the rest of your life and the rest of eternity, that if you ever wonder what God's like, it's who I am when I was on the planet. After he said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. Now, this is so interesting because his followers decided to give Jesus some medical advice. It's maybe what you do with doctors when you pray for them or try and tell God how to heal somebody specifically. And then they said, Lord, Lord, listen, if he sleeps, no big deal. He will get well and better. So let's just stay here and watch that Netflix series over again. But Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant a natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, hey guys, Lazarus is dead. Don't you understand? Which they're so confused. Why did we wait? Why didn't we go? Jesus, you've done all these amazing things. Why didn't we take action? And the next thing that Jesus says is terrible for Mary and Martha and Lazarus. It really is, but it's incredibly helpful for you and I, as Jesus talks to us on the other side of the cross today, this event that he actually manufactured in letting Lazarus' life slip away. He says this, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. And he continues on, so that you may believe, but let us go 
to him. Guys, I'm about to do something so you would have rock-solid faith, and so would generations that would come. And I love this next part. It says, Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, and any time I read Thomas in the New Testament, I always think of Eeyore because he's kind of a depressing guy. He doesn't always believe. He always thinks the worst. So let me just give you Thomas in the voice of Eeyore. Thomas, his disciple, said, Let us also go that we may die with him. Doesn't that just feel like you are a little bit? There's nothing else to do. Let's all just die together. So Jesus and, and his guys, they take off for where Mary and Martha was in Bethany. This is what John tells us. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. So some time had gone back. And remember, the messenger had returned. He reported that he had told Jesus. And now Jesus is late. Where are you at? He's missed the whole thing. And when Martha, John says, because he was there watching this, heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. And guys, what we're about to read is the most honest, real, authentic I'm pouring all my, all my heart out that maybe you've ever thought someone could say to the God of the universe. Martha goes out to meet him. She says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, implication, Jesus, you're late. If you'd been here, implication, Jesus, you don't care. If you had been here, implication, Jesus, you missed the mark on this one. I know you're supposed to be perfect and the Son of God and all that, and you messed this one up. If you'd been here... You hear all the pain and all the agony in her voice. My brother would not have died. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Have you ever just got gut honest with God and said, hey, you were late. You didn't show up. God, you failed on this one. I asked and you didn't listen and it doesn't look like you even care about me. You just need to know if you've ever prayed that prayer there's nothing wrong with your faith. It's normal to feel that way sometimes because Martha, who knew Jesus, who knew the person of Jesus, who is in his very presence physically, felt that way in this moment. And she knew he loved him and he didn't show up when he was supposed to. But she's hanging on to her faith in Jesus. She says, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why you mess this one up, but I, I'm hanging on to some faith in this. I don't have to understand everything to believe something, and I've not quit on you yet. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And she quotes some theology that she's learned early in her life. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, I'm not here to give you a sermon I'm not here to give you a devotional or theology or quote some Christy, cheesy Christian thing. I'm in the middle of something so important. And what Jesus says next took her breath away. And it should take our breath away. And it's so bold and it's so strong. He looks at this woman who's so brokenhearted. And he says, Martha, I am the resurrection. And I am the life. Martha, look at me. All your hopes lie in me. All this drama, all this embarrassing um, rhetoric that's going on, I'm late, you think I failed, all your hope is in me. And he says, the one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And it's so confusing and it's hard for her to keep up. But he goes on, and whoever 
And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And again, her head is spinning, and she's not sure how to put all this together. If we live, we die. If we die, we live. Jesus, I'm so confused. But what Jesus is trying to say is, Martha, look at me. Because of what I'm about to do in the world, death is just going to become a doorway to a better place. Because of what I'm about to do in the world, death is going to be a passageway into something perfect and glorious and wonderful. It's why the early Christians, when someone fell asleep in their community, did not say that person died. They would say that person fell asleep. Implication is this. When you fall asleep, you wake up a little time later and you wake up in a brand new place with a brand new body and a brand new host of people that you know and you love and you're around. It is an amazing thing. People die, but they live, Martha, because of me. And then he looks at her, and he asks her an honest question. Hey, do you believe this, Martha? And she just simply said, yes, Lord. She replied, I do believe it. I'm hanging on. I'm hanging on. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. I'm so confused, and I do not understand what you're doing. But I've decided, based on what I've seen and what I've heard, that I'm going to be confused and have questions and not understand this part, but I'm still going to believe in you. And John would say that's exactly what Jesus came to do, that there's going to be times that we do not understand everything, but we still can have faith. So here's the interesting thing. Now Jesus moves on to where Lazarus was buried, and Martha has told Mary, her sister, What's happening? And Jesus arrives where all these people are mourning and they're brokenhearted and they're also so sad. And John says, who saw this, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and in trouble. And he asked this question, where have you laid him, he asked. And come and see, Lord, they replied. And this part is just so amazing to me. Because at this moment, that Jesus just pauses to share divine empathy and divine sorrow. And what they don't know, but we know, looking back, is Jesus was about to fix this entire problem and this entire situation. But instead of just fixing it and brushing off aside all their emotions, he dives in as deep as he can to their pain and their sorrow and their heartache for a really important reason. Years later, Peter would sit down and write one of his epistles, and one of the things he would say in his epistle says, hey, you can cast all your cares upon Jesus, and he will carry them for you. Well, Peter, how do you know, how do you know that you can cast all your cares on Jesus? And he might have thought back to this day when there's these grieving sisters and a grieving crowd of the loss of their brother, and Jesus just waded into their pain, and he gave them a divine empathy And he was part of it all. Even though he knew in just a few minutes he would fix the entire thing. But he decided this comes first. Love comes first. Empathy comes first. I am here with you. And it's when the writers and the copiers of the New Testament, when they they put in all the commas and the question marks and the chapters and verses and the numbers, they decided to give the next two words their very own verse as if they wanted to emphasize Jesus' heart in the middle of this moment. And they put in what John said that Jesus wept. He knew everything was going to be okay. He knew there was a solution to it, but he decided to shed all of his heart in that moment with people he loved. And it made an impression on the people in the crowd because John records that then the Jews said, see how he loved him? 
But some of them said, Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? It's a fair question. Jesus, you healed and you saved people that you didn't even know. And you knew Lazarus and you were late. They were saying this, If he could have, he would have. But since he didn't, he can't. And I think John is wading in from his experience. He's like, whoa, 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 you don't understand. This is eternity condensed to the span of a single afternoon. This is the way eternity works. With all of our pain and all of our disappointment, all of our unanswered prayers, and the tears of God pouring over us as God hurts with us because he loves us. But this is an eternal picture because there's an outcome that we can't see like God can see. God knows there's a solution and a fix to our pain, but we can't see it on this side of heaven. This is a picture of all of it in a simple afternoon. John tells us that Jesus, once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb and he said, take away the stone. He said, and you know, Martha gets so practical because she's the practical one. And she says, but Lord, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been in there for four days. Let me just remind you, Jesus, you're late. You didn't come. You didn't show up. I don't know where you were. What were you doing? Don't you even care about us? But we can't open the tomb. He's been in there for four days. It smells awful. To which Jesus smiled. I don't think he's critical in this moment at all. He smiles at this woman that he cares about. He cares about her whole family. He says, did I not tell you? That if you believe, you will see the glory of God. Martha, I'm doing this for a purpose. So she must have relented and gave permission. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he said, now before I read this prayer, I just want to explain this prayer to you. Jesus is basically saying to his heavenly father, Father, I know what's going on and you know what's going on, but I want to pray this out loud so they all know what's going on. Because I don't want to get the credit, I want you to get the credit. But the truth is, Father, because it's really hard to tell where you begin and I end because we're one, we're united. I want to make sure everybody knows that this is coming from you. Ready? Okay, here goes the prayer. Father, I thank you that you have heard me and I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he'd said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And everyone gasped as the dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Now, what I'm almost sure is everybody in that crowd took a step back. I mean, can you imagine? No one stepped forward. No one got closer. Would you get closer to a mummy walking out of a cave and this mummy with 40 pounds of burial clothes walking towards you? Of course you wouldn't step towards it. You would be scared to death. And we know this because Jesus is like, hey, you got to go help this guy because they're all so terrified. They're not doing anything about this guy that can hardly move with all these clothes. To the point that Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. They're terrified. They didn't expect this. How could this even be? How did this even happen? This is like a sign of all signs. And then John tells us the point of the whole story, the point of the whole sign. He says, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did believed 
To which you and I would say, I'll bet they did believe. I would believe in a heartbeat. And John would tell us, but there was a formula to people believing. It was what people saw and what people heard that turned into belief and it turned into trust and it spread like wildfire. And here's here's what people that are Christians and people that are skeptics and people that don't believe in God God at all, they all acknowledge that in the first century, Hundreds and thousands and thousands and thousands and millions of people believed this way because the church launched, because people got behind it. And they found trust in a Savior that rose from the dead. And the church moved forward in incredible energy. And it was a movement, especially after the resurrection of Jesus, when he came back. And this leads us right into next week for Easter. And I hope you can join us for Easter because this sets us up perfectly. And you just need to know, this miracle is what got Jesus killed. Because so many people believed that the Jewish leaders decided, we've got to get rid of this guy. Now, come back for Easter. But I've got to acknowledge this before we move on because this is such a tidy package. or such a nice bow. I mean, this whole thing happens in a day, at most four or five days. But you may, you may have the same question at the end of this that you asked at the beginning of it, because I know I certainly do. And it's this, why would a good God allow bad things to happen? I, I love the story of Lazarus. It makes sense. God has a plan. He's working all things out. It's an eternity and an afternoon. But man, it's just so much harder for us to see when we're going through the things that we go through in the world that we live in. And so I want to take a moment and just share with you a story and a person that I have been thinking about a lot in the last couple of weeks, knowing I was going to talk about this. So I'd like to introduce you to or reintroduce you to Vivian. This is Vivian, this sweet little girl. Um, and this is kind of difficult, so I decided to sit down, and I almost didn't share this because I'm not sure I can get through it well. Um, Vivian left us and left this world about a year and a half ago. And it was tragic, it was painful, and I, I asked her parents if I could share this story and share this picture, so thanks to them. Vivian's birthday is this Wednesday, which is, you know, just makes her a little more dear and near to my heart. Um, but we lost Vivian, and she moved on to be with Jesus about a year and a half ago. And When I heard about this, I could only imagine the pain and the heartache that her folks went through, her parents went through, and her grandparents, and her entire family. And I got to be a very small part of this story when her family had asked me to come and speak at her memorial service. The hard part about this is I've done many funerals, and I'm usually pretty confident. I kind of know what to say. My, My friends, I did not know what to say at the loss of a child at such a young age in such a tragic way. And I remember thinking, I've got to honor her life. I've got to honor Jesus. But I don't know what to say because I don't know what to say to parents that are hurting as bad as her parents must be hurting. And so I just simply asked God. I said, God, you've got to help me on this one. And I felt like God at least gave me some insight what to share. And with the parents of Vivian's permission, this is what I said at the funeral, standing beside her grave with a lot of brokenhearted people. I said, a couple days ago, Vivian walked through that door that left this world and put her in the presence of God. And I am convinced, and I can't prove this, but I am convinced that she was met by Jesus first and foremost. And this precious, beautiful little girl, before she wondered where she was or what had happened, was scooped up in the arms of Jesus. And he sat her on his lap, 
And he began to tell her how she was beautifully and wonderfully made. And then he talked to her about her parents, how much they loved her, and how much her brothers and sister loved her, and how he loved her. And maybe he held her tight and sang her some songs in the midst of perfect peace and perfect love where no one was distracted by anything else but peace and love and joy and complete healing. And after a good long while, Jesus kissed Vivian on the head and set her down where she was greeted by family members that she didn't know existed. But she knew them perfectly because in heaven we are one and we are united. And she hugged and kissed and cried with tears of joy and laughed, however that works with a little child in heaven. And it was an incredible reunion like one you can only imagine. And then after she'd met and greeted all of her family that she didn't know, she was introduced to the rest of the host of heaven, where she met people and somehow she knew them. Because in heaven we're united and we're one and we know each other intimately and well. And she met people that loved her and hugged her and it was an amazing experience. But because time in heaven and time on earth do not work in the same way, a moment in heaven could be like 40 or 50 or 60 years on earth. She turned and then after a whole lot of hugs and a whole lot of laughter, she watched her parents walk through the door of heaven. And I just wondered, this is just my own thoughts, if she ran to her parents and hugged and loved them and reassured them that she'd been just fine. And then she introduced them to the physical Jesus where he loved them with all of his heart. And then maybe you join Vivian and Jesus in heaven because you have faith in Jesus that he is the resurrection and the life. And maybe you join them in heaven because today you decided, listen, our world is broken and I'm broken and I got evil in me and there's evil everywhere else but I want to turn to the one that can give me life and you did that because you heard about Jesus today and you heard about Vivian's story and Lazarus's story and you decided listen I need life forever and I don't quite understand it all it doesn't all make sense but I need life and today's your day to make that commitment of believing in Jesus as your savior my friends this is why Jesus said I am the resurrection and I'm the life, and I've come for you. And I think our deepest cry is to say, Jesus, give me life. And I don't understand it all. I don't understand why a brother would die when he doesn't have to, or little kids, things go so wrong with little ones and people we love. But I'm trusting that you have eternity in your hands, and you have a solution to my biggest problem, and that is the evil in the world and the evil in me, and that's through Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And my hope for all of us is we could find that kind of hope, that kind of faith, and that kind of love in a God that cares deeply for us. And if you're struggling with a lot of stress and pain today, I would just requote what Peter said, that you can cast all your cares on Jesus. I would love to pray for you. Remember Vivian's family this week as they celebrate her birthday and make sure to love each other well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for this story. And Lord, for some, it's going to help a lot. For other people, Jesus, it might bring up more questions, and that's okay. I just pray that we would bring those cares, questions, concerns, and maybe anger, even our unbelief, to you and walk through that with you. Thank you for your immense love for us. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.